0: I'm Dr. Robert Schertzer, Clinical Associate Professor, UBC Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences, and we're talking about glaucoma for the week ending April 3rd, 2009. Hi, today we're talking with Michael Coot, who is the clinical director of the Royal Victoria Eye and Ear Hospital and consultant in the glaucoma division, and we're We're going to talk about the GON project, which is Glaucomatous Optic Neuropathy Evaluation Project, which really caught my attention because I have a background with a Master's in Education, which I had originally gone into because of a big interest in internet-based teaching, and uh, there you are doing that sort of thing. You should have told me that before the interview, that's (laughs) right. No, I'm really going to nail you here. (laughs) So welcome. Thank you. And uh, can you... Tell our listeners more about the Gone Project.
1: It derived from work we did in the clinic, um, being clear that clinic environments are difficult places to teach and there's a lot of patients and feedback for our trainees was not often immediate or perhaps in detail enough for them to learn the skill of optic nerve evaluation as well as we'd hoped. So we developed first a PowerPoint presentation of, of discs optic discs of the area that gets affected by glaucoma. And we found that seeing a lot of these discs in a row made people better if they just kept looking at certain characteristics and became systematic and methodical about how they, how they reported them. Consequent to that, we have then refined that and refined the questions that we ask and now we've made that internet-based we found that there were disks that registrars, even quite junior registrars, could do quite well, registrars, trainees in, our, in, in your panels, and they had clearly defined margins and clearly defined characteristics, which, which could be um, taught relatively easily. What happened in the course of this was we found characteristics in, in disks that made them harder and they had a much bigger spread in, in the results. Uh, until such times, there, there were some that, that registrars didn't get at all, in spite of the fact that they were clearly gold We characterised those. Unfortunately, it, it's, it's like the, um, the the Tolstoy happy family. There, are, you know, there are lots of reasons why you muck it up. There's only a few reasons why you get it right, at least to start with. So, of the things that certainly affected um, registrars' ability to to pick them up, and sometimes consultants, was a relatively shallow cup. We certainly take a lot of interest in uh, in the depth of the cup mm-hmm. in clinical practice, uh, potentially more than its 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 in, importance really is. Certainly when we put this on the net, as a, somewhat of an aside the first thing that people asked us for was a, was a stereo version, right. which really the only value is to tell tell the depth of the cup. Um, he, the depth of the cup is valuable, but my argument to that is that in many times we have to look look at disks through undilated pupils. we get if full not full stereo, certainly only very partial stereo, perhaps even mono in those circumstances. And it's important that we can differentiate depth or cut parameters with really monocular cues, right. I think. So because this is things
0: we are stuck where the direct ophthalmoscope will give yeah. us the better magnification. Yeah. It's really
1: so, I think we, we, we recognise that unfortunately we live in an imperfect world and sometimes you have to do that. So we found that there were shadow cups, we found that there were areas where there was issues of colour and contour, and I know those terms are somewhat old fashioned, but where colour and contour didn't kinda of quite meet and where you had to follow a vessel really to, to see the contour properly and you missed. We characterized errors in in people's assessment in terms of uh, the outside of the disc and the inside of the disc. So they either missed the outside stuff, so they just didn't get the scleral ring in the right place. They misinterpreted peripillary atrophy or perhaps didn't quite understand where the tilt was or the part of the ring got buried, in, in, in particularly in tilted cases. They also sometimes had problems in determining particularly whether there was a sloping lamina cribrosa, or there was an area which Notched without a lot of evidence that that, that, that was often missed without, and, and they needed to increase the level of scrutiny for those things and no, know what to, to look for. They did quite well on things like disc hemorrhage, though we had the, the number of disc hemorrhages we had in the series was relatively small, and I suspect that if we went for more subtle disc hemorrhages, a number, a number of them would be missed.
0: And some of those capturing your blood vessel uh, head on.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, positive and negative errors in that regard. So we we now have decided that we can get this out there. We can make it work. We have some some good uh, computer guys who, who work with us, and it's now on the net. We've had over two hundred people internationally run through it, so it's it's really got a bit of traction, which is which is fun. Um, and it's interesting the way it works
0: on the net. It's not just. A a PowerPoint presentation. It's really interactive.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You
1: could that. Well the the one thing that we found is is that you need immediate interaction. But the limited thing I, I was going to tell you about education, but of course I'm now in a position of, of 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 having to watch my words. But my understanding of these things, particularly to people who are educated observers or experienced observers, even if they're not educated, is that to change their perception, to change the way they do something, you first have to, to create in them an understanding they're doing it imperfectly. You have to create ignorance if you like, or at least an understanding of what they're missing. So we deliberately chose out of two and a half thousand discs that I had of reasonable quality, chose 42 that some of which were quite challenging, and the aim was really to create in the in the person running the test going through the test, a sense that perhaps they didn't, didn't actually know everything, you know, that, that, that they've actually, we, we opened a hole of
0: ignorance that we hoped to fill with, with some information. And Unfortunately, with this being internet-based, people are getting to do this in the comfort of their own homes. In the, the
1: privacy of their own homes. Not, exactly. Some
0: staff <laughs> well, people.
1: that's exactly right. And and also, they, they, they have to do a lot of them, so some of it becomes... Um, it, be, it becomes a system. One of the things we found with our registrars, as I mentioned before, is that just by doing a lot, in sport, I think the, the, the statement is that uh, hard work makes up for lack of talent. I think if you just keep practicing, you end up getting good at it. And in fact, I think what differentiates glaucoma doctors in disc analysis from non glaucoma doctors is one, we've seen a lot, but two, we've had the opportunity to have a lot of feedback on it. You know, when when I was training, I, I was involved in the glaucoma inheritance study. Which, which was, you know, we found the first gene, the GLC1A, and we had to trawl through 5,000 disc photographs with three masked observers to, to it all. and we, we had to be within 0.1. We had, we had to all be right. And I think just the volume of doing that makes you better, and, and, and I don't think I have any particular innate skill. I think it's just that I've seen thousands of photographs and, and seen now thousands of patients, and I think that makes you better at it. I think there are people who who have seen a lot of patients, but haven't had a lot of feedback. And so, the the instantaneous feedback ended up being a very critical part of the learning process. More than just yes or no, the instantaneous feedback had to be also about what component were errors. So, we've asked people effectively 10 questions in the GON project. Um, Four is around the outside, so it's disc size, it's periperali atrophy, its shape, its tilt. There's inside things, also so-called inside things, cup disc ratio, depth. Um, there are two com- confirmatory factors, which is nerve fiber layer and hemorrhage, and then there's really one, which is the, the golden question: how likely do you think this disc is for coma? In the absence of having any other information, which we realize is a completely artificial environment. But if you, if but you accept, a very
0: important exercise yeah, to get good at yeah. working at the disc.
1: If you accept that, that half of people with glaucoma are undiagnosed, uh, I think that statistic is reasonably valid. If you accept that half of people present with normal pressures, that means people will walk into your office for blepharitis, for whatever else, be quite unaware that they have this disease, and the only piece of information you will get that will be positive will be to look at their disc, and usually in an undilated setting. So we have to improve the screening, ophthalmologists and optometrists, at least in our country, to pick this up without the need, without the use of HRTs, without the use of machinery, without the use of all of other things. So it was really a public health initiative. One of the people we have working with us now is, is a, a lady called Lani Gurria, who's, who's from Mexico City. She uh, is, is, is absolutely terrific and she has a strong desire to, to get into teaching in the, the Mexico uh, teaching system. And the other person we work, work with at the moment is George Kong, who's a, a PhD student in Jonathan Croson's lab, who, who is a great computer guy who just loves them, putting it all together. And
0: now, what sort of feedback does the training get when they go through these images on the web?
1: Well, there are two forms of tra- uh, feedback. In, We're in a little bit of a transition phase. The first form of feedback was kind of yes or no. Did you get it right? We recognise that all of these patients are my patients. I know them well, and I can tell you whether they have or don't have glaucoma, but that isn't quite the question, really. In other words, we have wrestled with this question of whether or not we should know the answer and therefore say you have done it correctly or incorrectly, or take the aggregate of people who are highly educated in the area, so we have 25 glaucoma specialists who have gone through it, and say this is what they said. And I think that we'll probably run to an aggregate a little bit of the two. So I think what we have at the moment and what is what what feedback um, trainees get when they go through the process, or, or consultants get through, is is a comparator to that group of, of glaucoma specialists who have, you know, given their, their opinion on all 10 characteristics. And I think both are valid. You know, it may be that I know the patient clinically has glaucoma, but it, it doesn't, that may not, particularly if it's preparametric, may not necessarily be reflected in the disc examination. I think both of them have validity. I think if the patient has a disc... Um, a subtle disc change and has a field defect. And that's something we will certainly uh, bring to the attention. And then we're in the process of giving feedback to the glaucoma consultant, obviously very gently, on, on those discs that, that may have been more contentious, may have had a greater spread, and, and offering them some information about more information about the patient, and and perhaps asking them to re reevaluate the, what they've found. So. It's a it's a process it's it's not um, uh, it's a labor of love it's quite it's quite time-consuming um, and and I think well if you were to try to do something I suppose that reduce the amount of of preventable blindness in the world you be able to you know to, to, to go somewhere and work there's high levels of blindness and perhaps offer your personal services is one thing but to be able to educate in a, in a free and you know an interactive and meaningful way i think is, is, is may well be quite an advantage yeah. so i hope we can potentially educate thousands of people yeah. around the world yeah and if we can just improve they'll it all be people. yeah you know so it, it, and it, it's a we hope that it will kind of people will, will come to us with sort of ideas or come to me with ideas and say oh look you know and, and, and Jamie Brandt, uh, who whom I caught up with at the meeting, you know, has had this thing that he wanted to do for, for years and Jonathan Croston has, has uh, decided that, you know, he really wants to, to have a look at the difference between inherited optic neuropathies and vulcanist optic neuropathy in masked fashion. And, you know, I think that they're all great things and they're all going to be in there. and So it's certainly a project that I think will,
0: will blossom with time. But well, speaking of that, just before the show, you were mentioning the Gone 2.0, the <laughs> sort of feedback that will be provided
1: with that. Yeah, that. Gone Gone 2.0 um, is is uh, aimed more squarely at at trainees. Um, it's not it, we're pitching a little bit more clearly at, at, at certain levels. What will come from that is again instantaneous feedback, but certainly in in this era of having high demands on on continuing medical education and the the accreditation process, what will happen is that you will be offered a series of discs to go through in an area that perhaps you didn't do as well, and you'll go through just that characteristic. So, for instance, if your assessment of disc size seems to be at odds with, with either the measured one or with the aggregated scores from the glaucoma consultants, then you will be offered uh, a series of, of, of images to go through and just do the disk size on. So you really focus on just that characteristic and then we'll come back and retest on, on that, which I hope reasonably accords with education sure. principles. That's wonderful. So that's the, that's, that's the process at the moment but there are lots of things you could do and for instance you could draw on on disks and you know you could get people to outline them. I spoke to Claude Burgoyne at the meeting and he's really very um, happy to to you know because I mean his his work is so masterful and so engaging and so amazing that I think unless we combine some intimate understanding of the structure of an optic nerve from right. from his work then right. we his have, work is,
0: is really three dimensional analysis yeah. And
1: yeah
0: it's really helping to explain what we're looking at a lot
1: yeah better. so I I think that it would um,
0: you know the, the, and
1: those sorts of things will add weight so it's not exactly a a, a Wikipedia idea, but it's kind of meant to be fairly open and and and, uh, and collaborative, and, and uh, that's certainly uh, how we're
0: running at the moment. That's great. So our listeners could access this at www.gone-project.com.
1: Yeah, dash project,
0: actually. Yes. Yeah, okay. G-O-N-E uh,
1: dash project,
0: P-R-I-G-E-T
1: dot, dot com, great. And, uh, and run through it. Great. Good. Thank you so much for no being worries. here today.
0: Talking About Glaucoma is produced twice each month by Dr. Robert Schertzer, director of the West Coast Glaucoma Center in Vancouver, British Columbia, and clinical associate professor of ophthalmology and visual sciences at the University of British Columbia. Please send comments or suggestions to podcast at iguy.org. That's podcast at iguy.org. Also, check out our website at westcoastglaucoma.com.